All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckeristas? What the fuck nicks? Welcome to the show. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. I appreciate you being here. Uh, a lot of things have happened since I've last talked to you. A lot of things in the world. A lot of things in my life. Uh, I will try to deal with them. I will try to uh, to bring you in uh, to what's happening today on the show. Uh, we've got Jim Florentine, who is uh, a guy I've known for years. I've never really talked to. He's got an amazing story, uh, and uh, he's a he's a real dude. He's a good guy. And uh, a lot of heart. It's a good talk. And uh, I hope you dig that. Maybe I should get some business out of the way uh, before I start talking because uh, there's, you know, there's stuff to talk about. I just taped my special in New York City. It went well. There was this horrible tragedy in Boston at the marathon that happened hours before I taped my special. Uh, it, was, it was very difficult uh, it was a very difficult thing to, to to manage and to react to and to have to perform. Uh, I'll speak to that in just a second. Uh, but before we get into stuff, let me let me do some business. I I, uh, I want to keep you in the loop with uh, what's happening with me. Obviously, my show Marin is premiering on May third, and the book is available for pre order. Uh, if you go to wtfpod.com, uh, it'll get you a link to pre order Attempting Normal. And I appreciate all of you who did. I'm going to. Uh, Sweeten the deal a little bit on this pre-order thing. If you pre-order the book now and you send your receipt to attemptingnormal at randomhouse.com, uh, they will send you a free a poster. Um, it's book-related. It's a unique poster, but they, this, they're only going to have so many of them. But there's, there's enough of them to go around. So if you pre-order the book uh, today... And get your receipt to attempting normal at randomhouse.com before the 29th of this month. Uh, we'll get you a free poster. How's that? Does that okay? Does that make it uh, more exciting to do that? But it, it's hard right now. It's 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 hard for me to talk about the exciting things that are going on because I you know we're all in the aftermath of a situation that it's just horrible I mean it's just it's one of these horrible re- realities where evil fucks do something for whatever fucking reason they do it for and now we're 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 terrified and and have to find the strength within us to sort of you know rise above it and and not dramatically you know change the way our life is led because of these things you know, fear is horrible, and that's all these people want to do. That's whoever did this just wanted to make everybody afraid, and and it works. But it's not a fear that we can't transcend. You know, as a country and as people, and it, it it's it's just it's just fucking heartbreaking. It's hard to even wrap your brain around it. You know, and I lived in Boston for years, and I got a letter here from Rick Jenkins, who is a, a comic in Boston. Uh, he just wrote me a letter out of out of uh, you know out of, out of nowhere really. Uh, he's going to be on an upcoming live WTF. He, some of you may have heard him mentioned on this show as the uh, the the founder of the Comedy Studio, where a lot of uh, the newer Boston acts have did a lot of time working out their uh, stuff, like uh, Eugene Merman and and others. Uh, he wrote me a letter said, "Hi Mark, you have lots of roots, friends, and fans here in Boston, so we want to let you know." that as far as we know, everyone in the comedy community is safe. One of the victims, Crystal, was friends with one of my wife's co-workers, and Crystal's mother works with some of our comedians and their families. The degrees of separation aren't too far. Uh, 
My first visiting in Boston, I was lost. I knew I was in the general area of the apartment I was supposed to stay at. I saw a little chalkboard on a sign that said comedy show tonight. I figured, I'm a comedian. Here's the community. And sure enough, a few comics bought me a beer, gave me directions to the apartment around the corner, outlined the Boston comedy scene, and welcomed me into the community. That chalkboard was the spot where the second bomb was placed. And that apartment is now within the official crime scene area. We'll continue with our regular schedule of shows at the Comedy Studio because we don't know what else to do. Even if it won't be the same, we'll have the chance to be together. Yeah, well, that, that's, uh, that's from Rick, and you know that's, that's the news I've heard from Boston personally. And it was very difficult for me because, and I'm not being selfish about it, I, I didn't know about it. I, I got to New York from San Francisco. I, I was going to be taping my, my two shows to be used for my special at Le Poisson Rouge uh, in New York City. And, and, uh, and I wasn't feeling well. I got some sort of stomach bug. So, of course, I'm, you know, uh, you know, before the show, I'm like, why the fuck? I've been doing so much work to lead up to this day, and now I, don't, I feel under the weather. You know, that was my biggest problem. And then when I got to the, the green room and I got to the venue and I was starting to tweet out that, uh, you know, we were, we were going to do the shows and I was excited, all of a sudden it's like, wow, I can't tweet this. Something has happened. I didn't even know what happened. I was it was just sitting there laying on a green room couch and then I saw all the tweets coming out uh, uh, about what happened in Boston and I went and saw what happened in Boston. I was like, oh my God, this is fucking horrendous. Because, you know, when you're in New York and I was in New York, uh, you know, during 9-11, you don't know whether there's going to be ripples. You don't know whether, you know, this is going to happen in other places. And I was getting ready to do two shows at a very big night in my life. And I, you know, it was weird choices. And, and then some tweets came in. I, I can't come to the show. I'm waiting to hear from people in Boston, family members. And, and I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, do I cancel? What's the right thing to do here? And I, and I knew I wouldn't cancel. Uh, I shouldn't cancel. And I, I knew that people, you know, in New York, uh, you know, were, were going to be stressed out about this. And, you know, that panic was going to be reinvigorated about what happened there. And they also, you know, I'm sure their hearts were going out to people in Boston. And I had to do a show. And, you know, it was a good time to do a show. It was an important time to do a show. Whatever people were going through, you know, hours before or the worry and the panic or, you know, God forbid you, they knew somebody who was hurt or killed, you know, they were going to come to the show. And, and I, you know, I was, I had to be an entertainer. And then there, there really comes the question where it's like, should I mention this? Do I acknowledge what's happening out in the world, uh, uh, you know, on a TV taping, you know, that's not going to air for a couple months or, you know, even if we could cut it out, do I bring that into it? And, you know, try to, to deal with that on stage. And there was just, and it was weird. It was a, an emotional decision for me because there was a time where I would have immediately started talking about stuff like that. You know, if it was happening in the news, even if it, you know, even if it was still happening, you know, I didn't have the filter necessary to, to realize that maybe you shouldn't address stuff like that. I mean, there was a, I remember when Louis, I think Louis was doing his first Letterman and it was literally either the day of or the day after the Oklahoma City bombing. And I'm walking down the street and he's like, I can't believe it. You know, this is happening. It's my big you know, night and, and uh, you know, I feel bad, but I don't know what I should do. And, 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 and I remember saying this, I said to him, you know, you, you got to mention it. How are you not going to mention it? You're going to be on television. That's the way my brain worked. You know, I, you, by not mentioning it, you're acting like you're in an alternate reality. Why would you not mention it? And, uh, you know, apparently Louie told me later that he said to the producer, you know, the, the night, you know, he was doing the show, Bob Morton, he said, uh, you know, Marin said, you know, I should, you know, I, you know, I should figure out a way to, to mention it. 
And Bob Morton said, well, you know, that's why Marin's not doing the show. So I had to, to weigh this stuff out. And, and, I, and I decided, well, look, man, uh, you know, this is a night for, for entertainment. This is a night to do what you do. And, you know, you, you know you're not going to wrap your brain around this. And, you know, and, and there's no reason to bring it up. Let's, let's, let's do the magic. You know, make people, take people away from it. Bring them in. Do your show. And that's what I did. I did two shows. And uh, they went very well. And, uh, and I, I saw a lot of response that people were, were happy they went, that it did uh, sort of relieve some of the pain and fear and panic of the moment. And, and, uh, and I felt good about that. And I want to thank everybody who came out. They were really uh, unique shows. You know, I'm glad that we did it the way we did it. I, you know, I made a choice to not do a theater situation, to do an intimate uh, nightclub situation. And uh, I think it went beautifully and, and Lance Bangs directed it and I, and I hope it comes out well. We'll do some editing and my friend Tom Sharpling came down, Sam Lipside came down and they were hanging with me in the green room. Sam brought me his new book, which I was mad that I didn't get a copy of. Lipside's got a new book out, The Fun Parts, a book of stories. He's great. Please get his book. God, get his book. There's no one funnier than Sam Lipside, but they hung out with me. And we had some conversations in the green room. We, we taped a little of that stuff. Sharpling brought me on stage both shows. You know, it's just nice to have, you know, close friends around. You know, it was weird because, you know, we're in the middle of this, you know, horrible event happening. And it's nice to have friends around for that. But then, you know, at the same time, it was nice to have friends around, you know, for this big event in my life. And uh, I don't know. I don't think it could have happened any other way. So I want to talk to to Jim Florentine now. I also want to bring up my, uh, I got a gig in Bethlehem, uh, Pennsylvania at the uh, the Music Fest Cafe at Steel Stacks. I still have no idea what what any of that means, but I assume if you're in the Bethlehem, Pennsylvania area, you know what that means. That's going to be uh, on uh, tomorrow night, on Friday night. Uh, if you want to come out to that, let's go now. If we could to my conversation with Jim Florentine, uh, which I, I I loved, and uh, it was great to talk to him. I'd known him for years, and we'd never really sat down and and uh, you know and talked about stuff. So, uh, so let's do that. I can't remember the last fucking time. I mean, I don't know if you and I have ever really hung out and talked. My guest is Jim Florentine, but we were definitely around each other for a long time. Well, you know what? Um, I, yeah, I always saw you in the clubs and stuff, but the first time we really kind of hung is when you had that show yeah. on VH1. Was it Nevermind the Buzzcocks? Oh, yeah, ne- Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Buzzcocks, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I was I was a guest on one of your shows. That failure. That that failure of a show. I remember the day you were, must have been angry at the producer or something like that. You weren't in a good mood. When we were shooting? Yeah, we were shooting. I think they, I don't know if they did a couple of shows in one day or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But. I wasn't happy about the whole thing. You know, I didn't, I didn't understand the fucking game. You know, it was, I don't know. No, I, I, I hear oh, you. Oh, so I left a bad impression. I no, no, I, I loved it. I loved it because I knew what you were dealing with as a comic. You're like, dude, look, you know, yeah. you got 50 people in headsets walking around telling you what, you know, that joke, maybe you try something else. Yeah, and you're no, like, no, was, don't uh, worry about it. I it, got it. It was this game with no stakes. And I, ne- I never understood the game. And I was sick the week that we were shooting. And, I, you know, I, the only reason I did it was to get me out of that first divorce. I, I was broke. It was fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but you had like, but you just you had an angle though, didn't you have an angle? Weren't I mean, wasn't there like a, you had the long hair? I remember, I had, yeah. And you were jamming Jim Florentine for a yeah, while, yeah. And I tried but it was to a do music like thing. I was no, I was trying to be like the rock and roll comic. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Because I saw you know, because I you know, Kinnison and Dice, right. yeah, yeah. I saw those guys like I was never, I, you know, I I loved Carlin and and Pryor, but right. I, I never thought about being a comic. I really wanted to be in a band and be, right. be a musician, but I didn't have the talent. All my friends were in it. 
To and sing then, or anything? To sing. Yeah, I tried guitar. I was a lefty. Everyone's like, I'm a righty. I don't know how to, I can't turn a guitar around. Right. I can't teach you. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, shit. I mean, I even went for singing lessons one time. And the woman, after the first lesson, goes, look, you don't have it. I could take your money for the next two years, but you, you just don't have an ear for music. Really? At least she was honest. I yeah. like that she was. Because I could have been in there for two years thinking I had something. But but does it, do you really need to, to have that? I mean, you know, like, that's always wonder. As I get older, it's like, well, you just need to be in it. You're just really earnest about it, and you, you'll get by. No, but you have to be in key and all that, and, and I, I can't even hear the music. Like, I love music, but I'm tapping my foot. Like, what are you tapping your foot for? It's not oh, even so you're, you're, you're yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. awful. So then the angle was, because uh, for some reason I thought you might have played guitar, because I remember the long hair jamming Jim Florentine, but that was just the that was the angle. And you were like, I guess we started probably around the same time, no? I started like 90, 91. Yeah, yeah, not too far after me. So yeah. we were always around the New York thing, and you were, you were, always, you were a club guy. I was, Comic Strip was the place was I got in the first time, yeah. Yeah, and you're, like, there seemed to be a group of guys that come out of the, the sort of dice tradition are you that guy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was, he was, yeah, I was totally, I wore a leather jacket on stage with fringes. I had long hair and I was just telling these dirty, nasty right. jokes. Because you guys get, kind of put together you and Norton. Yeah. And uh, Rich Voss was another and Voss. one. Yep. I remember when Voss started, he had that Jerry curl and yeah. like <laughs> and that weird ass ponytail. Yeah. And they had those weight, bad weightlifter pants. Remember those little, like those, yeah. those big uh, puffy pants oh, he used to wear? Yeah, and he, and he had the tan. And, yeah. But he was never pleasant. No. He, like, I he, know. The first time I met him, he goes, We did a road gig and I, I show up at the hotel. And I'm in the room, and then he comes in. He's like, who are you? And I'm like, who are you? He's like, I'm Rich Voss. I'm like, oh, I'm Jim. He's like, what are you doing in my room? I go, this is my room. He's like, no, this is mine. The booker only gave us one room. Of course, they didn't tell you. And he gets on the phone in the hotel room. And I just, I never met him before. He's like, look, I'm not sharing a room with a guy named Jammin' Jim, so get me another fucking room. And I'm like, what a dick this guy is. He, he's fucking mellowed so much, though. He's like, you know, he's like a some sort of, like, whipping boy over there at ONA. Like, I don't know how, like, he used to be such a kind of a douchey dude. Yeah. But now he's just a fucking sweetheart. Yeah, he's a good dude. Their, their movie is great. The, him and Bonnie did that yeah, movie. Yeah, I heard about that. Women Aren't Funny. I got a copy of it. They showed it to me. It's really good. So so you were just fucking on the road, because I was trying to figure it out. Like, there was a lot of dudes uh, that that I started with. Like, I'd go on and off the road. I never really kind of locked in long enough. I'd always do other shit. I never built any relationships out there. But you were one of those dudes that was, like, fucking everywhere. You, like, did every fucking room, A or B, that, Absolutely. that you could do. And I, you spent your life out there. Yeah, because, you know, what? I, I, I went into New York in the beginning. And Where my, were you from? New Jersey. Old Bridge, about 45 minutes south of... So you're part of the New Jersey crew. Yeah, me Norton, me and Norton started at the same time. We started going to the city. We knew we we had to make it there. Did you know him before he started? No, we both. I, we met. I was running an open mic in Jersey. He, yeah, and he came down when he had hair. No, he still no, he still didn't have the hair. He still had the crew cut. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he was just completely uh, awful. I mean, the jokes <laughs> he was saying were just hor- horrendous about like fucking his grandmother in church. Yeah, that was yeah. like his opening joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um. I took a liking to him. I, I like this scumbag for yeah, some yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah. So we tried to go in New York City, and then we we didn't know anybody. But we we met Voss, and Voss said, "I'm from," and he was a you know. So Voss would take us to the clubs and go, "Hey, these guys are funny." He never saw us. Yeah. And they were just like, "Yeah, whatever." And then Voss took us on road gigs, opening for him because he was had he knew every sh- shitty one nighter. Right. That's so it was right. Perfect. So we you know we were out there every night working you know awful gigs, but at least we're working. But there was that whole that whole sequence of like you know, they're not even B rooms; they're just these fucking miserable holes in the wall that you could do like you know two or three a week sometimes, right? 
Easily, easily. Yeah. We were doing like four or five anywhere, some bar. You, Voss, and Norton? Me, Voss, and Norton. Yeah, absolutely. Did they yeah. know what they were getting into? Because none of you had a name value at that time. And well, that's that's got to be a full assault of fucking filth. Oh, it, it totally was. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was. You know, it was funny. Like Voss took me because chicks. Used, when I had the long hair, like yeah. in Jersey and Pennsylvania, yeah. these guys. You know, I was like a rock star. To, right. You know, going to a comedy club. So yeah. chicks would always talk to me after the show. So Voss goes, "I'm bringing you on the road just to get pussy from you." <laughs> so, but it was funny because I go up there and bomb. I had I always had like eight minutes and it was filthy and it was disgusting and they hated me. And then after the show, like all the girls would be talking to me and yeah. Voss would come over and goes, "Did you see his set?" <laughs> He goes, I just killed up there for an hour. Did you did you watch what he did up there? It was so funny. Did you guys ever get into trouble out there? Not really. Yeah. Not really. Because you're pretty nice guys. I mean, even Norton at his worst is like, you know, he's, he's very uh, endearing. Well, I don't know if you know, it's a famous story he wrote in his book. What? The first time we took him on a road gig to like Connecticut, to like yeah. Hartford on a Tuesday night. Uh, Norton, he meets this girl after the show. I just bought a brand new car. I leased it. You know, I had no money. So I put... So, he talks to this girl after the show. The girl wasn't interested, but she was being nice. So he sits with her. And he actually got her phone number. Mm-hmm. So he's all excited. Oh, my God, I'm going to call this girl eventually. And you know, like she wanted nothing to do with you, but yeah. she was being nice. So yeah. we're driving home on like 684 in Connecticut, right? And I'm in the front. And Bob Levy was actually with it. He was headlining that oh, time. Bob Levy. The yeah. Reverend Bob yeah, Levy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're in the front just talking. I hear this noise in the back, my, my back seat. I hear. <laughs> And I turn around, I turn the light on, and Norton is jerking off in my back seat, just sit and stroking it. I go, dude, what are you doing? And he doesn't even stop as I'm talking to him. He goes, I can't help it, man. I'm, I'm so horny with that girl talking to me. I, I, can't, I can't wait till I get home. I go, dude, I just bought this car. You can't do that. And he goes, no, I, I got a T-shirt. Don't worry. It's not going to get on anything. He was holding a T-shirt in case it went anywhere. I go, dude, you got to stop. He's like, I can't. And he's still, as I'm arguing, I pulled over. I go, dude, seriously, you got to pull your pants up. And he did. He didn't talk to me the rest of the way like it was my fault. He couldn't even wait to get home. It was only an hour away. Oh, my God. That is so fucking beautiful. That's one of the best examples of sex addiction I've ever heard in my life. No, he couldn't even like, wait to like, get home. It's like, I got to get... But, but And then he put it on you. Yeah, like, you yeah know, he's like, like, I got a t-shirt. It's not going to get on anything. Just watch the road. I'm going to finish. <laughs> oh, my God. So what? how does, it, how does everything... How does it unfolded for you, though? I, I mean, I know that, you know, it's a battle for all of us, but, you know, what, do you, what have you been doing? Um, you know, I worked. I got the gig on uh, this gig on Crank Anchors, that show on Comedy Central. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with yeah. the prank phone calls. Yeah, and yeah, made yeah. Him a pup. And it was weird because I was just basically, you know, just doing B and C rooms. Right. And I would I would sit at home and I would wait for telemarketers to call because I had nothing going on. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a show to like eleven o'clock at night at the right, cellar. Right. And I would keep a telemarketer on the phone for like an hour. I'm like, let me see what I could do because I really, you know, it's like what. I, and my friend Don Jameson, he's like, dude, he goes, put me in on three way. I want to hear this. He's yeah. like, you're on to something. This shit is funny. I'm like, really? I only thought it was funny. I was just amusing myself. Right, right. So I just recorded a bunch of calls and I put a CD out yeah. of him. I said, ah, I'll just sell it after my yeah, shows. Yeah, what yeah. the hell? I'll get my name out right. there. And um, he brought it into the Stern show, Howard Stern show, because he, he knew one of the producers there, Gary right, right. Delabati. And he goes, hey, if it's funny, we'll play it on the air. And the next day, Stern started playing that. And he's like, who is this guy? This guy's funny. And then Jackie the Joke Man leaves the Stern show. And then they have st- start having like unknown comics sit in right. on the show and just yeah. you know like, that that never happened before right so Artie Lang Doug Stanhope Fitzsimmons me Craig Gass yeah 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 Chappelle yeah only because of those goofy calls they right. go yeah we'll have this guy sit in and yeah, Stern yeah. took a liking to me yeah yeah and then like two weeks later Kim and Carolla were looking for guys to do prank calls because they're doing this new show for Comedy Central and they go who is that guy that does those calls and I got that gig just like that that's fucking that's a good story it was insane and you still do Stern uh, yeah I do it once in a while. 
How, what's he? You know, I don't have any. I'm one. I don't have any relationship with him at all. And 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 I don't. Uh, you know, I never was on the show. And I you know, I guess because I didn't grow up with him, right? I don't listen to him that much. But he's a nice guy. He's a great guy. Yeah, great guy. I mean, he basically made my career. If it wasn't for him, I don't know what I would be doing. I mean, it's a I've, lot of comics go on there. You it's know? huge. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was doing a funny bone in uh, Pittsburgh. Remember yeah. that get, that get, that shitty gig. Uh huh. So I would get like five hundred bucks. Who to was be a, it? What was the name of the guy? Jeff Schneider. Out? Okay, yeah. So five hundred bucks to feature. Yeah. You know. Shitty condo, whatever. And then I'm doing a Stern show for two days. And my agent calls and goes, Hey, let Jim headline Pittsburgh. He's going on Stern to plug because Stern was on in Pittsburgh. Yeah. He goes, And give him give him 1200 He says, I'm not giving him 1200 He doesn't have 45 minutes. And I had 45 yeah. So he goes, All right, give him 1200 If he sells out a show, he gets a $1,000 bonus a show. He goes, All right, no problem. I went on and plugged the two days. I sold out five shows. <laughs> five shows. He was so pissed at a freaking club owner. That- Even though his club was packed, that he had to pay me like, like $6,200 compared to so, 500 oh so he said do it for 500 but if he sells out a thousand dollar bonus on each show each show ah. he gave me 1200 yeah and a, a, yeah and five shows that's a beautiful victory it was beautiful oh fuck i love that that was great. And you know what because he was like that he's never gonna like he yeah was, he's like play, he goes he's a feature he does yeah, 25 yeah, minutes yeah. No, oh. nobody gives a shit that was, was a like, good play you still with that, that manager no, not anymore. Oh, yeah. But you know what? I got to thank you because you're the one, a, a few years ago, you contacted me because some booker in Phoenix fucked you over a gig, and oh, I was right. doing it. That's right. That's right. I remember that. And I was doing the gig in a few weeks, and you go, Jim, the guy didn't pay me, so don't show up. You better get make sure you get your money up front. Yeah. And I already had half of the money. My agent goes, mail me half when I got the gig booked. Right. So I had already had a deposit in the bank and right. everything. And then we found out. Luckily, you tipped me off on that. And I never showed up for the gig, and I kept half the money. Yeah. Because he's saying, I'm going to wire it. I'm going to pay Mark. I paid him. I can't find his address. Like, he was making up all his shit. Well, he crapped out. You know, it was like it was a sad situation. Because that guy, but it was one of those situations where, you know, he was a kind of a comic and he had this big room and he thought it was a no brainer to fucking just pull people there. And I, you know, I wasn't a big pull and he, you know, he made this guarantee and it wasn't even so much like I could have taken the hit if he just made it right. But then you get there and he's like, he's got us at a hotel that, you know, his friend who worked at the hotel looked like was stealing the room. Like we (laughs) couldn't put our name on the room. So the whole thing was kind of weird from the beginning. And then I didn't pull any people and then he didn't have any money at all. And even for travel. And I was like, fuck it. Fuck it. And I just wanted to call you because I was like, no way. Yeah, and I didn't show up. Did you ever I, hear from the guy? Well, he, he said he was going to sue me because he wanted his half his deposit back because I didn't, I didn't get on the plane. Uh-huh. And I, he had never heard from him, so I kept half the money. So I, he, I should give you half, <laughs> half of what I got. Just, and I didn't have to go to Phoenix for the weekend. I'm like, it's beautiful. I stayed home. Oh, yeah, that poor guy, boy, he probably hates my fucking guts. No, but you did the right thing, and it was great. Yeah. And that's what's great about like the internet and social. You can get if someone fucks you over before, you just have to be a word of mouth thing. Don't yeah, well, go to just, that guy. Yeah, you just like, I want, you know, I, I saw the people were on the schedule, and I just wanted to give everyone a heads up because he wasn't, he just wasn't legit. Like, it wasn't, he, was a, he wasn't a bad guy. He just had a big idea. He, yeah. he looked at this big empty room that he had access to it was an old uh, movie theater right and he was like it's a no-brainer like i'm just gonna bring these guys out and fucking cash will roll in i'll sell out five six hundred seats and i don't know what you could pull in phoenix i couldn't pull there. no i couldn't either i was yeah. like i'll take the guarantee all right no problem right. <laughs> yeah right because you know the improv was gonna cock block you from getting on radio that's right, what they no, do in yeah. those big markets. You can't they, get on, yeah. You do a secondary room. They go, look, we're paying $1,500 a week to advertise on the, the two big rock stations. You can't have the competition on. They're not buying any ads. Yeah. So even though you have a good relationship with the DJs in that, in that market, they won't have you on. Yeah, I don't. You know what, dude? I You know, club politics and that kind of bullshit, it, it, it drives me nuts. I mean, like, I don't, I barely work improvs. I just don't feel like I owe them anything. 
Right. No, <laughs> absolutely. Do you? No. I. You know. Believe me, I battled over the years with the improvs. Really? About what? Well, all right. So this is a famous story. So uh, they opened the Houston Improv, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a 500 seat room. Why do they do that? I yeah. don't. Yeah, this is like eight years ago. So you know why they do that, though, don't you? Because that means, like, if they get guys, if they got a handful of dudes that can sell out and make that kind of money, great. But most of, most of us can't. Right. So what they do is they sell some tickets and they just give away all of them and for to, for the drink minimum. Right. So we're per- playing for people that don't give a fuck. Right. So there's so, hundred of your fans in there and then 300 that c- care less. Yeah. Free tickets. So when it opens, I uh, the improv in, uh, in Dallas, I was friends with the owner there and he was partners in that room. And he goes, yeah, we're opening this room. And I was doing the old, what is it, comedy stop where yeah. Hicks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. was doing that room yeah. in Houston. Yeah, I, was, I remember that room. That was a great room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What Mark uh, Babbitt. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he goes, don't worry, Jim. He goes, look, I'm n- nothing against you, but you can't fill that room. So you could just do the other room in Houston. It won't be a problem. I said, okay, perfect. So I do that four or five times, that room, getting a nice following in Houston. Yeah. Improv calls my agent, goes, look, we want Jim at the Houston Improv because I was doing, they knew I was doing numbers over yeah. there. So I go, I can't do that to the guy. I've been there five times. And they go, look, if Jim doesn't do the Houston improv, he's not getting the 15 other improvs in the, you know, this year. Yeah. So I, I was like, and I, I really sat on, I go, you know what? Too bad. I'm, I go, I can't ruin that relationship over there. Yeah. And this is bullshit what they're doing. I said, so you know what? I'm going to just do secondary rooms in the markets. For, forget the improv. Right. So the next day, my agent tells him, and Geraldo was on my roster. He was with my agent, too. Yeah. So so, what, so they said, we're going to pull Geraldo's dates if Jim doesn't do that. What is that, that fucking student. mafia shit? It was, um, so I had it, I had it called Pete, well, the, yeah, Babbitt or whatever, and I say, look, dude, this is what they're doing. He goes, don't worry, just go over there. I understand they're being dicks. Was it Babbitt or the new guy? There was another, it was another guy, Pete. Yeah, yeah. It was remember, actually Pete. Yeah, went, so yeah. I go over there. I don't fill the room. There's 130 people a show. And they never had me back at the Houston Improv, and Pete never had me back over there. So I haven't played Houston in eight years. God damn it, man. It's like, I, I, hardly, I have, hardly ever talk about this. You know, I do a little bit, but I try to be diplomatic. But there gets a certain point. You know, it's, the great thing about what's happening in the business now is, like, quite honestly, if you really think about your career, this is my thoughts on it. Are you, they're, they, they think they're a monopoly, but they're not. So they've got a, they think they have us over a barrel, but they don't. Because I don't know anybody that really likes those rooms. You know, and then like all of a sudden, you know, when you get a little success, they're like, all right, why don't you come? Like, what? why do I owe you anything? What, what do you, what do you think? I can play anywhere. Yeah. I can play a place where I could take in 80% of the door that has, you know, 300 seats and fill it with people that like me. Why do I owe you anything? That's what kills me. No, I know. It's, uh, you know, and now, you know, Stanhope really set right. the path and, yeah. you know, Posehn and, yeah. and Patton doing all the, uh, you know, the rock clubs and stuff like that. So I've been doing that a lot in there. And that working out? Yeah, you know, getting like two, three hundred people just yeah. doing one show. And Why not? Absolutely. Instead of being there for five days. I still like doing clubs. I'm surprised there are certain areas where you don't know where the hell you can draw and where you can't. I, I a, know. It's a bizarre thing. And, and then, like I said, you can't get any press. Very rarely can you do it by doing the rock clubs because the improvs do and the funny bone, you know, whatever big clubs in the area block that. But if you got a good on. Twitter following and you've got, you know, your people, they're sort of, the, yeah, but it kind of sucks that you can't do. Uh, like, I always forget about that, you know, when you don't like, when you don't have radio, like, why don't I have radio? Oh, because they're, they're owned. You know, yeah. they, they, they're not going to bring, you know, they're, they're not going to go where their bread isn't buttered or whatever. No, they won't. They don't, they don't care. It's all business to them. And then, you know, yeah, you bitch when you don't have radio, but then when you have it, you're like, oh, I got more. I gotta get uh, up. Yeah, yeah. How many? I There's just, some clubs like you do five or six and you're like, are you kidding me? I just did three. I was just in Knoxville last yeah. week. I did three in the morning and two in the afternoon. I said, like, oh. And that whole day's fun. It, yeah. I had an hour and a half in between to try <laughs> yeah. to take a nap. How was that? Knoxville, Tennessee. It's great room. There's a place called uh, Side Splitters. I heard about that. It's a great room yeah yeah 
I don't think I've been to. I, have I been to Tennessee? I was just in North Carolina. That place, good nights. He's, it's a good place. Still. Yeah, I've done. Yeah, I did want that back in the day. Yeah, me too. I hadn't been there in fifteen years. Yeah, that's a good room. It's like the same. Like the, the room. I I didn't remember it being as good a comedy room as it is, but it, it comes right back at you, man. I mean, it's like a great room, and he's like, I don't know. He rebuilt it a little bit. It's nice. It's fun down there. It, you know what it seems like? It seems like the B rooms in the in the in the area are the better rooms now. Like there's a place called the Funny Stop in. Cuyahoga Falls, which is right outside of Akron, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. And that room, they pay pay like $10 on a Friday night, right. 12 on Saturday. For tickets? For tickets. And they don't pay for the room. And it's, you know, it's a bit, but it's a great old school room. Well, that's why I'd rather play independently on comedy clubs where, you know, yeah, that's a guy that owns it. And, you know, he's, he's invested here because when you go to the corporate comedy clubs, you're like, no one gives a fuck. You know, they just, they don't care who they run through. And it almost feels like, you know, it has an effect on the audience. You're sitting there doing your best shit. And it's like that. How is that not getting anything? <laughs> and there's 300 people in here because they don't give a fuck. They, they don't, don't know who you are. They don't care. It's just another ride at the park. They don't care. They, you know, they'll just, they gave away free tickets. Hey, yeah. two drink minimum, $7 a beer. That's 14. And if they get mozzarella sticks, that's $21 <laughs> times two. That's a minimum of 42 bucks they got for the two people that yeah, got it for free. Yeah, yeah. Hey, no problem. That's paying the bills. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter who you are. They don't <laughs> and, then, and then those people don't like the show. They yeah. fill out the comment card. Yeah. Headliner sucked. <laughs> Yeah, because they got the bill. Like, why are we paying? For, we got yeah, free tickets, and we yeah. got to pay. We don't even know the name of the headliner. The <laughs> guy is terrible. So, how? Where did you grow? What what part of Jersey? Uh, Central Jersey, like Old Bridge. And what what kind of world was that? I mean, what, what kind of family you come from? What does your old man do? Seven kids. Seven. Catholic. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it was brutal. Where, where were you in the? I was lineup? right in the middle. Oh god. Well, that's probably not a bad place. Four to boys, be. three girls. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think it was pretty good. So you're brought up full on Catholic? Full on Catholic. Catholic schools my whole life. Really? Yeah, complete. No jail time? No, no jail. <laughs> Believe me, I've, the shit I got away with, I'd still be in jail right now. <laughs> the stuff that I did that I, you when know. When you were in high school? Uh, high school, grades, everything. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I remember one day, like fourth grade, I hated being Catholic because all my friends were in public school. Right. I wanted to be with them. Yeah. And, you know, that was the whole thing. It's a better education. Right, Meanwhile, right. the priest is teaching me math. Like, what the fuck does he know about math? <laughs> you know, he doesn't know. Yeah. X is God. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. If I if I if I grab your balls, how many how how many balls do I hold? If I uh, two, okay. So we're learning. So we're math learning today. math. Yeah. Um. So sixth grade, they make an announcement in the morning. Go, hey, just got to school. We just bought these new wrestling mats. They cost us a lot of money, so please take care of them. Yeah. We spent. So what do I do yeah. later that day? I cut them up with razor blades. Just that it's split them all up. Yeah. And then you just kept your mouth shut. You get you well. Get, yeah. Well, they, they they narrowed it down to our class, and there was three kids in our class, three bad kids, me and two other guys. So yeah. we were in the office for the last three months. Yeah. That, and the, the the nuns and the priests would just smack us in the face and punch us in the head. We know you did it. Say you did it. I go, I didn't do it. And, well, you're not going back to class. I'm like, oh. I'll just sit here. Did I the just, other guys know you did it? No, I and no one knew I did it. Beautiful. So I, I just never admitted it. My, my my parents made me swear in a Bible. They took me to a priest. They go, we need to swear in a Bible. And I swore. I put my hand on a Bible and swore on it. Yeah. So then they were, I was in the clear with my parents. Oh, good. They go, if he swore in a Bible, so then they were fighting with them. He wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I just broke it to my mom like three years ago. She was so pissed. And that was like 30 years ago. Really? Yeah. She, she I can't believe you did that. You swore on the Bible. Yeah. I go, well, I went to confession. I'm, I'm even. Did I, you Did you go right after? I no, mean, I didn't. No, I just... You, know, you never went to. You did eventually. I did. Yeah, I, I would go to. Yeah. So when you swore on the Bible, was there any like thought then at that moment, like I'm going to hell for Jim Metz? I didn't even care. I'm like, I just want to. I want my parents off my back. 
<laughs> and then they threw me out of the school at the yeah. end of the year, so then I went to public school yeah. for a couple of years. Oh, that's good. Then, yeah. you, then it served its purpose. But even in high school, I went to this. Uh, I moved to Florida for a couple of years. The, the priest in you were a Florida guy. Yeah, Fort Lauderdale. I lived in for like two years. When as a kid? Yeah, my dad was a CEO at Dun and Bradstreet for like twenty five. What years. is that? What's chief Dun financial, Brad- like chief financial officer. But he what is like, Dun and Bradstreet? It was like a big uh, firm in, in New York, like a big uh, uh, financial oh, firm. Okay, okay, yeah. So he was making like a hundred grand a year in the seventies. Right. He was a really smart guy, and he had this dream. He's like, I want to, I want to get a bunch of hot dog trucks, like these those food trucks that go <laughs> yeah. to construction sites. Sure. And I want to open my business. I think that's going to be great. I'm just going to. So he bought like a truck route of, of of hot dog trucks down in Florida. That was his big plan. That was, that was his, his big plan. So he left a job making like hundred G's a year in a se- late seventies. 70s, went down there to open this thing and it completely bombed within like a, a year he was completely <laughs> broke he brought a fleet of trucks that was his and dream the old this shitty thing. trucks this like they, a, they, <laughs> it's gonna make me a million dollar dream yeah yeah he's like the whole family's gonna cook the food in the morning you know the chili oh, and all this God. stuff and so was he like manic about it like so he had all you guys up and we had all had to move down there yeah while well, i was going to school but yeah we work and my older brothers were out of high school so they were working the trucks they were driving them and other people and they would just and it completely flopped well, what happened? Was it like he didn't have the connections necessary? Yeah, it just wasn't that big of a moneymaker, and the trucks were like, you know, 30 years old, so they're constantly breaking down. So he had to get these licenses to, like, you know, sell food, to yeah. sell hot food, and, like, and, oh, my God. <laughs> it was and a disaster. The whole family was like, you You just were, your life was full of hot dogs and chili. And yeah, and we were, we were great. We lived in Jersey. We had a nice house. You know, like, we were upper class, like, middle class. Oh, my God. But it was God. great. We lived, we all had friends, and my dad had this dream. He's like, we're going to Florida. The hot dog truck dream. The hot dog truck <laughs> and I, so within a year he was he was broke what happened then he he basically we moved back within like two and a half years and did he get his old job back no then? he didn't get his old job that back. was the end of your dad's run he went from working that 100 grand a year job to working at like budget rent a car answering phones down in florida for like 12 bucks an hour because he couldn't find work, he was so overqualified for work. And then when he moved, you moved back to Jersey. Then he started getting back into like real estate with my brother, so he kind of like picked up, and he, he did okay after that. But still, oh, the arc of the like the like it's so weird when you have a father who's got a dream, and it's even worse when they commit to it. It's one <laughs> thing if they're just speculating, like I ought to do this, and and then but once it's engaged, and yeah. there are trucks involved. <laughs> And you just all sit there and watch the thing crumble. It's so fucking horrendous. Oh, it was brutal. Because as soon as I was done with school, I had to clean the trucks. I had to make chili for the next day. Put it in the refrigerator. It was just like till like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know how to cook. I don't want to do I'm a kid. I'm 16 years old. I don't want to do this shit. Did your dad ever like it? What, did he ever like recover? Did he, was he all right? I mean, he was all right. Yeah. He just, he, he took it. He, he took it on the chin for for a while. And your bro- what did, what did the rest of your family end up doing? <clears throat> in the real estate and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Two of my older brothers. Yeah. And well, they 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 built up this huge. You know, they're buying a bunch of shit, made a lot of money, and then the mar- real estate market crashed, like in the mid '80s or something like that. And they they lost everything. My father lost everything again. <laughs> we were renting a house. I was paying most of the rent. Were I doing comedy? Well, well, I was working during the day too. I had a job during the day, and I would do a comedy. What at were night. you doing? I, well, I was I was landscaping at one point, and yeah. then I was working uh, 
the, the, the fuel tanks at the airports, like at JFK and Newark, yeah. my, uh, fr- this guy would fix them, like the gauges and all that stuff. And I was just a helper. I would just hold the screwdriver. He was paying me like 15 bucks an hour off the books. What a weird job. I know. I, but he was a friend of mine. He's like, you want to? Yeah. I'm a, he'd get up at like, we work from like 6.30 to 2.30. I was home at 2.30 in the afternoon. And you go out to the airport? Yeah. And it, it was tr- as soon as he picked me up, I started my day working. So we had to be back by 2.30. Right. Make it 15 an hour. And he was paying my health insurance too. That's fucking sweet. I know. He's a good dude. But then I wanted to, but then when I started doing comedy, I was like, this is what I want to do. I got to get out of this. And I told him, I said, look, I, I, you know, so I went from making, you know, 600 bucks a week cash to, you know, maybe a hundred. But that's all. I always think like, it's weird when you kind of like have the, like a weird job like that. Like, where does that come from? You're just going to drive out to the airport (laughs) and he's going to look at dials and you're going to stand there and go, all right. Yeah. And he go, I got a meeting in there. I'll go, I'll just wait in the van. I would just sleep in the van. I'd be out because I was hung over. I go out drinking with my friends and be up up, up at 630. So when was the first comedy gig though? I mean, what, 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 what drove you to it? Dice? Yeah, I saw Dice, you know, do his seven minutes on Dangerfield. Oh, God, right. That special was just, I mean, everybody on there, you even look back at that, that. I saw that, and I was like, holy shit, that's what I want to do. You know, and I saw Kennison a bunch of times, but it, it took me still another, like, year and a half to actually get the balls to get up on stage. I just watched part of Dice. He was in here. You know, Dice was. But I just watched part of his uh, newest Showtime special. And you know, his persistence, it eventually get you. You know what I mean? Even if, like, the jokes are, like, they're, they're, they're straight-up Dice jokes. Right. But there's a while there. And, and this is a question I always have with, with, uh, with you guys. It's like there's a point with Dice where you're like, well, this is really fucking wrong-minded. Right. <laughs> but then, like, yeah. you know, he takes it to such a level where you're like, all right, all right, so we're in this world. You know, it's not it's not like he's doing it out of contempt or anything else. That's just the style of it. And I think that people misunderstand that sometimes. I mean, do you ever get flack for shit? I don't, you know, I'm, I I started off dirty. I'm not really that dirty anymore. I'm more edgy. But, I, you know, I just got away from it because it was what like. What do you think the difference is? You mean just filthy versus. Yeah, like filthy. For pushing just, buttons. Sure, just being filthy you yeah. know norton did this show on hbo called down and dirty yeah like three years ago and i got picked to do the show and they were like dude you got to come up with dirtier jokes they're like you're not dirty enough i'm like well i don't really have any dirt like i have you know and they're like well come up with more so i was like in the clubs for like three weeks coming up with like you know you know ass eating bit i'm like i gotta i gotta throw this in there <laughs> i can't do norton show unless i eat ass i know i'm like <laughs> I go, I don't really, I'd rather do that. They're like, no, it's not dirty enough. You know you're on a fucking uh, a dirty show when they're like, we need your angle on ass eating. Like, Bobby Kelly's got his angle. <laughs> I got my angle. What's your ass eating angle? I know. I know. I'm like, Does that, Norton, I asked Norton, I go, do you do ass eating jokes? He's like, no, nah, all right, good. So I won't touch on your jokes. But I remember I was trying to get a set for The Tonight Show. Yeah. I got approved to do The Tonight Show at the same time. So I'm going in clubs in New York, and yeah. I'm doing five minutes of clean, and yeah. then five minutes of that. So I would just, I tell the audience when i go up there go all right this is what's going on i would warn them because my first five was all like silly just yeah, funny yeah, clever yeah. Jo- and then the next was just complete <laughs> disgusting filth so i'd have to warn them because at first i didn't they're like oh where whoa what whoa, happened whoa, what, why are we here yeah. like jekyll and hyde yeah <laughs> did you do the tonight show i never did they always you know they've jerked you around yeah yeah i mean they like me there but it was just like you know we need to switch this one and switch that i was just like ah, i forgot it so i <laughs> oh god it's fucking horrendous i've never done that show i never i don't know I would love to, I mean, but, you know. Have you done Letterman or anything? I've done uh, Kimmel. I've done Kimmel four times. He's a good guy, man. Kimmel's a great guy, man. Uh, he, he's like, uh, he's a big winner in this whole weird thing. I know. He's minded his own business. Exactly. He's fucking focused on his shit. Yeah. He's a good guy, too. Good he's guy. He's a great dude. You know, because I, you know, he was one of 
basically plucked me out of obscurity with the Crank Anchor show. So I've been friends with him since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, you know, I did George Lopez's show a couple times when he was right, right. on. So I did, uh, what's his face? What's the guy that retired? Uh, the Late Late Show. Oh, Craig yeah. Kilborn. Yeah, 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 yeah. He took a liking to me. So I did a show like three times. Yeah. He's like, dude, I want you like once every six what weeks. What happened to that fucking? And guy? then he quits, and I'm like, Are you can't. I haven't been on since. I don't know. He just, he just, he wanted to, he wanted to write sitcoms. And he be wanted to be sit- an actor too. Yeah, right? and he hasn't. I think I don't even know he what he showed he's done up since. in a movie here and there, and then that was that. He would have had that gig for life. I know. He was, he, he, and everyone used to say that too. He was just sort of cut out for it. You know yeah, but all those guys. I mean, Carson Daly. I love Carson, but you know, his show will be on for the next thirty years, and people are like, oh yeah, his show's still on. I don't know what I you know I don't know if I love Carson Daly. I mean I don't quite you know I I get it that you know he seems efficient at that hour you right. know and he, he's sort of there and he seems friendly enough but I it's hard to decipher a person a specific personality with Carson Daly <laughs> right yeah, I'm not trying to drag you into saying anything no no about yeah him, but I just I I don't know what he what he does he just seems to fit on television and he stays there but all those late night guys like you could be there forever. You know what I mean? You got that gig forever. Just get one point two share or whatever like yeah, that. Hang out. You break. You break in. You know they were saying Kimmel even like his rating was like a one point five or whatever it was. Right. He was bringing in over a hundred million dollars a year in advertising his show. This was like five years ago. Yeah. Like it, just a hidden secret how much this guy's making and just right. you know being there and just yeah. doing a show every night. So, so do you have a, a like a, an end game for where you're at now? I work on this show on um, VH1 Classic called That Metal Show. Oh, you do? It's a talk show. It's yeah, basically yeah. like the Tonight Show for ACDC You host fans. it? Yeah, me and two other guys host I w- it. I should know that. If I did my research, I would know nah, that. That's right, you know. I fucking love ACDC, man. It's, you know what I'm just getting into now? Because uh, you know I, I'm always late to the game, but ACDC, I've, I listen to them still. Like the first six, or you know, all the Bon Scott the stuff. Bon Scott, and, yeah. and maybe one, you know, Brian Johnson one. I listen to Back in Black, but I don't go. Right. I don't listen much after that. I don't. I. I don't know why. I just the don't. last one they put out like two years ago, Black Ice, is yeah. a great record. I did buy that, and I like that record. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Who are the other metal guys? Who are the you? you yeah, like? we interviewed Black. You know, guys from Black Sabbath. You love those guys. Black Sabbath is probably my favorite band. Really? Yeah. I got, I got some of that on vinyl. I started listening to vinyl. Again. Oh, I love vinyl. It's amazing, isn't it? it, it it's a sound, and it. it's just it, yeah. It just started. It's not doing even it. close to yeah. But I just started listening to Tool. <sighs> phenomenal yeah what that guy's sort of a genius isn't he yeah and he just does he's got three bands he's got his own winery right he's got he's got tool perfect what is it perfect circle perfect circle and and pussify yeah is it pussify or Or pucifer something pucifer something like yeah, that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so he's, he's working on that now he's have doing... you interviewed that guy no we have Maynard? He's, he's impossible to get to yeah we'd love to have him on yeah yeah but he's just you know He's making wine. Yeah, and he, you know, if they don't have anything to promote, they don't want to come on. You yeah, know, musicians are tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had Tom Morello on from Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, he talks a lot. You Love know, him. So how many shows do you do a week talking to metal we, guys? Well, we've done 11 seasons, which, you know, only about 10 episodes so a season. So that's your gig. So we're at about 110 episodes since 2008. And that's, that's your job. Yeah, I mean, we do it like a month out of the year. We do right. about 25 episodes a oh, that's year. That's great. And they yeah, pay so you pretty good? No, I mean you know, come on, it's MTV. It's it's VHC. Yeah, it's Viacom, so it's in that whole world. But it, it helps my draw on the road. Right, right. I got a bunch of guys in Iron Maiden shirts sitting right in the front. Dude, what's <laughs> up? You don't have any hard. You don't have a hard time talking to those people. Well, no, because I can relate to them. But you know, when I'm doing my stand up, I do because they're like, "How could you pick Judas Priest over Maiden?" They're like they're yelling it out like a minute into my set. I go, "Dude, we'll talk about this afterwards." Yeah, but you, oh, Maiden, this come is, on, dude. So you deal with most of your audience is dudes. Yeah, angry dudes. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, I always wonder about that because, like, you know, when I look at like. 
and I love you know Norton, I love these guys, but like the thought of going on in front of their audience, you know, it, 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 I feel like I'd be devoured. You know, I'd have to put you have to fucking because I'm like, you know, I'm not like an alpha guy, fuck everything kind of guy, really. Yeah, you know, but there's like certain they're frightening. No, it is. I, you know, the stern audiences too, because I used to open for Artie Lang, right? So do those shows, and then yeah. you know, you know, the Opie and Anthony ones. So yeah, th- those fans are animals. But I also open for bands, like I did this Metallica festival. How'd that go last summer? It was amazing. They loved it. Yeah, I mean, it was thirty thousand people at the festival. There was a smaller tent where they had comedy. Yeah, and it was about six thousand people watching, yeah. and it w- they were amazing. I, that must be a fucking rush. Thirty thousand people. I can't. I I, I opened for uh, Slayer. Megadeth and Anthrax. I did a tour with them for six weeks, doing arenas, and opening for them. Well, what happened was I had to do three five-minute sets. So right. f- in between each band, I was the Jagermeister Jäger, hired me to be the host and MC. So right, I give right. away some shit, and then right. I have to do like three and a half minutes of material, a minute yeah. and a half announcement. So the first set, it was great. It was like you know six thousand people in the venue. I could have done like a, a special. Sure, they sure. were amazing. But no sec- one had come yet. Yeah, but a second set, they're like, all right, you know, now the venue's got like twelve thousand. <laughs> like, who is this? Uh, they they kind of know me from the why, show. Why isn't there music going on? Yeah, they're now? like, what is going on? What? The- <laughs> come on. And then by the third set, Slayer, because the, the Slayer fans are like insane. Yeah, yeah. They were like, all right, enough. All right, enough with your jokes. We get it. You're a comedian. Just bring the band on, because they get mad because they think I'm taking time away from the band. Right, right. right. I'm that same guy. When the D- local DJ goes up, I'm like, shut the fuck up right right ozzy could play another song or whatever you know i'm like i don't want to hear your shit i don't care about your station so i picture myself being that guy yeah 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 Yeah. and it it was tough i mean they were throwing shit at me right yeah I was like Dane Cook up there. I was running back and forth so that I could. I, I usually just stand there, yeah. yeah. Trying to get the attention. Just trying yeah, to focus. I just, yeah, so they couldn't hit me with stuff because it was beers coming at me oh, and stuff. It's a fucking horrible feeling when you're not connecting at all. And no. You're just scrambling up there and you feel that horrible sweat. You're like, fuck. No, and some guy punched me in the head after the show. What are you talking about? I was at the merch table because yeah. I, I made up these T-shirts. I figured if I'm going to play in front of all these people, maybe I could sell some T-shirts yeah. after the show at the merch table. Yeah, what the yeah, hell? Yeah. But when I got there, I found out that the headlining band, you can't sell any T-shirts less than them yeah so slayer selling the shirts for 35 dollars right so i made these shirts with just my name on it with like a couple of skulls <laughs> I, I got like a thousand of them made i got them shipped across the country they're on the tour bus i sold three t-shirts <laughs> three and, and I, I performed in front of like two hundred and thirty-six thousand people oh, God damn three it. t-shirts so what are you doing with those shirts now i, I still have them i'm like i <laughs> I, they're in my garage. <laughs> oh, those fucking big ideas. Did you? Re- I remember when I first put out my first CD and I had to press them and everything. Right. And I had that, like, I didn't want to go for a jewel box because it was too expensive. So I just got the cardboard envelope kind. I did yeah. some shitty cover art. I still have those. You they, still they, have they, them. Oh, fuck. There's probably about a thousand of them I still have. And they eventually got reissued, but fucking that first big idea. Yeah. It's like the hot dog truck. You know, it was, it was hot, it? Exactly. It was the hot dog truck. <laughs> I know. I still got them. I'm trying, I try to get rid of my shows. Do you? But I remember one time I was signing this kid's ticket. He didn't want to buy a t-shirt, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, you know, you go to a merch table, there's this Slayer has like 15 t-shirts. For 40 bucks, right? Yeah. 30. The iconic covers. Yeah. Megadeth has like seven. Antex yeah. has five. And mine was all the way in the corner. <laughs> just a little, yeah. <laughs> they couldn't even see it. Because people call like, what are you here for? I go, my shirt's up there. Like, oh, I didn't even see that. Yeah, I'm gonna. Sorry, I'm gonna get a slayer shirt. Who are shirt. you? Yeah. I was the guy running around back and forth. So I'm, I'm signing this guy's ticket. And yeah. This guy comes over and friggin' punches me right in the head. And I look up and he's like, "That's what you. That's what you get for wasting time on stage." Oh my god, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> wasting time. That's like said, you were cutting wasting. into the the next encore. Like if <laughs> if Jim hadn't gone on, they would have done another two songs. <laughs> yeah, fucking assholes. But you also do this one man show. Yeah, yeah. I mean. What what is what happened there? 
I mean, what was the story behind that? Well, the one-man show is more like a story of my life, basically. Um, and it's more storytelling and stuff. So basically, the whole theme of it is pretty much, you know, you know, my mom was like super, super religious, like almost like the Virgin Mary, basically. Yeah. So her whole thing was like, you know, you got to be just save people. That's what you got to do. My mom would just bring in people off the street and they would live at her house for like two weeks. So that was like that was her thing. Really? She, so you, she would take care of anybody like someone's grandmother like that drifters? lived down the block. Not so much drifters, but like people that were in trouble, like a drug a kid that was hooked on drugs that lived in the neighborhood. His parents threw him out. So she would take him in. So you had to live with these people? when you? Yeah. And I'm like, mom, what did, did they ever steal or anything? No. Oh, actually, they didn't. For some reason, my mom was just like amazing how she would just get them back. So that was their... her her Catholic mission. In that was way. her Catholic mission. And, and you know, anyone's grandmother down the street, oh, I'll take care of her. Wait, they, would... they were thinking about putting her in a home or something? yeah, or something like that. Yeah, she was amazing the way she did that. So it was just like that's what you need to do with people. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so ba- so basically, every relationship I've ever been in is always <laughs> well, with troubled women that needed to be taken care so of. So you're, you're like a caretaker. Yeah, right? just it's a disaster. But so. you didn't know that. About I didn't yourself. know that. No, but I'm just like if I see a disaster, I'm like, all right, I need to be take care of her. That's that's my project. But you feel that when you see it, like when you like, because I mean, I I have had my share of crazy women, but I, I I'm not thinking I'm going to help them. You know, I'm thinking like, oh, she's hot. She seems like out of her mind. Yeah, she's yeah. dancing on the bar. Yeah, yeah. It's great. This is great. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is awesome. It's not like the caretaking doesn't come in until you're like, what happened? How come? Like the, the woman I'm with now. I mean, I've never been in in the position. Where I actually feel like I have to, you know, take care of her or, or care about her more. Like, it's a good feeling. Right. But it's a little daunting. Like, it is. Well, to... at first, you know, because it's fun, it's crazy to crazy chicks. It's like, right. oh, my God, they're yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. But then all of a sudden, you know, when, you know, reality sets in, you're like, oh, my God. It's like, well, <laughs> what did I get myself into? And then you feel bad. And then I would feel bad. I'm like, oh, I can't. Uh, you know, let me let's see if I could you know work this one and just get her out. to a better place. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, like how can I diplomatically shift her out of my life? Yeah, and it was <laughs> tough because I would feel bad. Like yeah, I don't yeah, know where yeah. to go or whatever, whatever. It was. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It was always a problem. So like my, that was every relationship in my life. Really. Pretty much, yeah. Always well, I didn't crazy. get laid for a long time because, like, the Catholic school and all that stuff. So I was a late bloomer. Like, till like, 21, I had, like, one girl. You didn't feel guilty about it. You just didn't have the opportunity. I didn't have the opportunity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what was the first girlfriend like? Well, the first girlfriend, what happened was I used saran wrap on her as a condom. Yeah. And she broke up with me. Oh. <laughs> What do you mean? It, it was our second time we had sex because we were fooling around that I didn't have a condom. It was like two in the morning at her yeah. parents' house. And yeah. she's like, you got to get a condom. I'm like, uh, uh, hold on. Yeah. And I just went up in her parents' kitchen. I was looking around. I'm like, I got to, like, there's going to be a condom laying around. So, you know, I'm going to have a dispenser. I'm just going to rip off. <laughs> it's a Catholic like, house, right? You're yeah. not going to find one, right? So I just ripped off some saran wrap and I used that on her. And she didn't know for a few minutes because it was dark. And yeah. then she found out because she looked down and yeah. just freaked and just broke up with me and just told me to get, you know. She didn't get pregnant though she didn't get pregnant but that was like you know i that she wasn't a complete disaster but that i real i screwed that up like the one girl i really fell in love with i was like i totally over saran wrap over and the whole neighborhood knew my parents found out about the saran wrap oh yeah because the whole yeah it got around the whole neighborhood how the hell did they get around my dad's like you're not even human what the hell's wrong with you (laughs) but did he say you should use a condom or you shouldn't have been fucking uh he he said just i can't believe you did that you embarrassed the family he was more to saran wrap my mom was you know like how could you know you're not married what were you doing having sex oh my god your I dad was print. embarrassed that, you, that his kid wrapped his dick in saran wrap yeah, he, yeah, he, what he, kind of idiot does <laughs> yeah he's like yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it was pretty uh, It was pretty clever at the moment. You're being resourceful. I was. I mean, because, like, that was my, you know, second time going to have sex. It was like, this is, a whole, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't even masturbate before I had sex. What? I did not masturbate till I was 21 was the first time I did it. Really? Yeah, I swear How to God. How did you get through adolescence? I don't know. I just kind of like just- You cut up in, in wrestling mats. Cut wrestling mats and yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. just yeah. was- If you had just jerked off, there would have been a lot less <laughs> there property a lot less, damage. I know. Oh, you used to go to the local pool in the neighborhood and, and break glass and throw it in the pool and throw all the furniture. <laughs> in there and plants See, and rip shingles off you just jerked off <laughs> i know i know i can't even imagine that so the first time you jerk off you're 21 that must have been like the best day in the in the in your life no i felt guilty because uh, i was drunk one night and i did it like in the middle of the night yeah and i and the next morning i felt so guilty like what a piece of shit i am that I had to do that. So that Catholic shit. Really- oh yeah, it totally screwed with me. Yeah. Oh my god, is that, and that's why you were so adverse to having Jim Norton jerk off in your car. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, especially when he didn't stop. <laughs> you know, at least if you're gonna argue about it, you could have- probably just stop. But he's still going. Have a little shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think. So that's weird that Catholicism, like, I don't know. I never was, I was never ever told that masturbation was bad or anything. See, yeah, well, and my dad would get Playboy magazine delivered to the house, which was weird. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, my mom was, you know, we were always in church and Catholic right. school and all this, but for some reason it was a play. So whenever they would go out for dinner, yeah. we'd always go look at the Playboys, uh, me and my brother. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. You know, I didn't even think about I don't know. I don't know what Your was going on. Your brother didn't either? No, we didn't just go, all right, you know, are you taking it in the bathroom? I'll take it. We didn't do no. any of that. No. So you don't know if your brother was jerking off or not? We shared a room. Probably not. And so you knew. Oh, my gosh. He horrible. was bottom bunk. I was top bunk. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't hear any movement going on down there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so then, okay. So you just have a string of disastrous relationships with crazy people. Crazy people. Then I try. Uh, my dad wound up um, passing away at like 58, had a massive heart attack. Oh, my God. Just when, you know, our relationship was kind of strained over the years. Yeah. And we finally got, you know, he, he actually saw me do comedy a couple of times before he passed away. This was like 93. Is that good? It was great. Because, you know, what he one thing about him, you know, when he had the, the failed truck business, the hot dog thing, yeah. he didn't care that I went for my dream. Yeah. Like, he was like, go for it. I said, Dad, this is what I want to do. He's like, hey, go for it. I had 100% support for my family, which was good. I think you should put hot dogs on your T-shirt. <laughs> I should. To honor your father. Just have <laughs> fucking people like, what the fuck does that mean? It was uh, Florentine's Gourmet, it was called. <laughs> These old <laughs> shitty trucks. You should make those shirts. I should. So he saw you. That's good. He saw, and I did a, a my first comedy show for MTV. Remember when they were doing half hour comedy? Yeah, I did those. But then they did Kamikaze. There yeah, I a, did that. Okay, with so with the floating head. Yeah, with so, what's his name, Bowman or John Bowman. John Bowman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was my. I was only doing comedy a couple of years, and I got booked on that show. Right. So he came to the tape, and him, and my mom. Oh, that's great. So you know, he saw me, and then like about four months later, he passed away. Just one heart attack. Yeah. One heart attack. Oh, yeah. And, you know, right in front of us, like, my mom woke me up in the morning. like, Dad's not breathing, ran upstairs, and we were trying to revive him. The, you know, the police came and then the ambulance and all that stuff. And, oh, God. Yeah, it was brutal. So yeah. after that, I, I wound up moving in with my mom because I felt like she needed to be taken care of. Right. So now I'm back into the... Because they were married like 30, 34 years. Everybody else was moved out of the house. So you do, you live there now? No, no. This, oh. was, this, this was a while ago. Okay. So I move in with her just for a couple of years to take care of my mom. Yeah. 
And then I, I just said, I got to f- start, you know, dating normal girls. So my dad was even telling me, like, when we started getting friendly again, he's like, dude, you, what are you doing? These girls are a disaster. I like them, but come on, you just find a normal one, like your mom. Why, there's, there's girls out there that don't act like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You really, you know, you could find a nice one. I found a nice one right away. What were some of the other ones? But it didn't make sense, yeah. though, to me. I'm like, that's, yeah. But I'm like, How do you know? Why? Also, like, they don't seem to be attracted to me. The, the nice girls. I mean, no. that's the other thing. It's like people say that once you find a normal girl, I'm like, I'm not on their radar. Apparently. Not at all. Well, I had long hair too, so yeah. it's like I was just getting strippers and hairdressers. <laughs> that's all I was getting. Chicks that cut hair, like, oh man, how'd you get your hair like that? You, I'm like, yeah, it's just natural. That's natural, yeah. you know. Oh, chicks that get paid in singles is yeah, basically yeah. what I had. Right. So I wasn't meeting any nice girls. You dated strippers a lot. Well, you know, I would fool around when I'm here and there. Yeah. There, I know. Like I dated a, a, a chick who worked in the sex industry. It's it's difficult. It's not it's not an easy path. That one. No, no. It's 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 you know it always ends in a yeah in a disaster because yeah. as they get older too. Yeah. Because then what do you do? Yeah. You go from making eight hundred dollars a night cash, not paying any taxes on it. Yeah. To trying to work in a you know an office job, making yeah. you know yeah. bringing home five hundred fifteen dollars every two With weeks. With the possibility of somebody at the office going, I remember. Yeah. You. yeah. <laughs> that too. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, no more Louis Vuitton bags yeah. no more hey let's go on a shopping spree i got cash yeah nah. that shit's all out the window yeah 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 so it's a tough road for them uh afterwards but then when i cut my hair i cut my hair short yeah like in the mid 90s and then none of those girls were attracted to me anymore right so i had no choice i had to find like a nice girl all of a sudden girls like they worked in the bank thought right. i was attractive and they're like oh you want to go to brunch i didn't i'm like what the fu- i don't even know what brunch was at that point I'm like, yeah what is that go to brunch <laughs> people wake up at that hour on sunday on sunday and and, and go out with other couples yeah, yeah. That sounds awful. It's crazy. I know. I don't want to talk to anyone. So what ultimately happened? So I, I you know, I, I eventually, two years in, I live with my mom, start try to start dating normal girls, but yeah. they were boring. Yeah, yeah. I was like, there's no excitement here. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, awful. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah. ah, you know. No, no, there's no grip to it. There's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. This is for like a married guy in their 40s. That yeah, wants yeah. yeah. So then I just said, you know what? I got I to gotta go back to the dark side. I met this girl. Where'd and you meet her? I met her at a comedy show. She was actually at my show. Yeah. And we started talking. I exchanged numbers and we wound up dating for six years. And she was, you know, a big, you know, it was a huge project. I went basically, you know, dove right back in. Right. You know, the whole, the yeah. whole history, you know, chemical imbalance. Oh, she had a, she had, she was a bipolar. You know, born, born with chemical imbalance, you know, molested as a kid, foster homes, adopted. Oh my God. All that stuff, you know, horrendous childhood. Yeah. You know, and it was just, and it showed, you know, she was, you know, but I was like, this is, this is a project for me. But, 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 but it must have been like, uh, you know, there was chemistry there. There definitely was. was. Absolutely. Well, I, I, because she was, you know. It didn't become a project to laugh. No, I mean, she'd walk in a room. You're like, oh my God, look at this. I mean, she was gorgeous. Yeah. yeah, You know, total knockout and just wild and funny. Yeah. You're like, oh my God. And you walk in like, wow. Yeah. See, that's it. That was it. You know, whenever someone like, that's your, holy shit. But then, you know, the moments, you know. But how long did it take for you to realize that she had trouble? Oh, right away. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right away. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, all right, this is a project for me. I'm gonna... it, well, you sit there and you do that weird thing. It's like, well, is it is it worth it? And and then like you're like, yeah, because you know, there, you, your heart gets connected to it. Yeah. And then and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, it's, it's out of my fucking wheelhouse. I don't know if I can handle this. But then, then the arc will come like, you know, like, this is crazy. And then all of a sudden it's back to like, oh, we're good. And, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And you feel, I just, you know, always felt bad. Even though I don't like to deal with any kind of act aggravation at all it was always like i always found these women that were 
just complete drama, know, dra- total drama. And right. I didn't want any drama in my life. I just wanted to show up, do the gig, do my whatever. Like, I don't want any problems, you know, and stuff like that. And then I would get in these relationships like, oh, my God, this is out of control. Do you ever think like, you know, maybe maybe you like drama? Uh, yeah, well, I was always, like, look, I met Jim Norton. I saw him do a joke about, you know, fucking his grandmother in church. I'm like, I like that guy. Yeah, that guy There's something wrong with him. So, I, 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 yeah, always. Rich Voss, disaster, Bob yeah. Levy. You yeah. know, I always attracted to, like, people like that that were just crazy. Yeah, because they're, they, they live interesting lives, and they seem to be okay with it. Yeah. You know, people who don't live interesting lives out of fear are like, ugh, wait, you know, what am I going to do with that? You know what I mean? They're just sort of like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Any, like any, anyone that was normal to me, that was boring. I'm like, ah, you know. Yeah. As you get older, though, when you, because obviously you and I, we, we got our own problems. And then, like, right. at some point, you realize, well, you know, this is who I am. And like, maybe if I can just, you know, te- you know, kind of tape, you know, temper some of the shit that gets me into trouble, I'll be all right. You can't get rid of it. But you can sort of like, yeah, eventually get old enough. Like, I'm not going to not going to do that because it's, it's going to cause me a bunch of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, usually about late 30s, you realize <laughs> that as a guy. Seinfeld, though, made a great point. He said comedians are like 20 years behind being grown up. Like when they're 45, they're really 25. <laughs> and that's part. That's a, almost exactly right. That is right. Is it that, is. That wasn't a joke. That was something he said. Yeah, that's something he said in an interview. Yeah. yeah see, that would be a joke for us. And right. Him, yeah. <laughs> it him, it's like, you know, just a self-analysis. Yeah. Thing. So who? What happened with this girl? So we date six years. But like, what was some of the behavior that was out of fucking? Just you know the highs and the lows. Oh, you right, know, right. Just, was you she know. on medicine? Was she on medication? No, nah, she what? She took a little here and there, but not really. She didn't want to take it. She yeah. was vegetarian, and she always you know ate healthy and stuff. And she didn't want to put that you know the, the pills and. She wasn't crazy about taking that stuff. Isn't that weird? Like you know that there's that the thing about that people come from chaos is that they find one thing in their life that they can control, whether it's veg, you know, like the food or whatever. And that that's their whole thing. Yeah. Like I'm not going to, well, know. it's like every stripper is like a vegetarian. They love animals. <laughs> but meanwhile, you know, $200, I'll, I'll go home with you, you know, go yeah, in this yeah. back room for yeah. another 50, but yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they see a little animal. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah it's, so. I, it's a bizarre thing, but I think it's a control thing. You know, They're, they all come from such chaos. Like, yeah. It's one thing. So she wouldn't take the pills. She wouldn't take the pills and, you know, she was adopted and she really wanted to find her real family. Yeah. And the adopted mother had the information, but she was always afraid because she always said, I'm going to get rejected. I'm afraid to get rejected again. Right. If I find my real mom, what if she doesn't like me or doesn't return my calls? Right. So, uh, you know, she was at a point where she was having so much, so many issues that I said, you know what? I'm going to find her real mom because maybe she can really make a connection there and have a real family and, you know, help her. Right. You know, move to the next level and, and get better. Yeah. Mentally and stuff. So I've wound up tracking her down. Yeah. And um, she lived in like Orange County, California. Really? She was married, you know, lived there for 25 years. And we, we I, I got her on the phone. I said, look, uh, you know, your daughter or whatever. And they, and they started crying on the phone. I go, and I was coming out to California to a club. So I said, we'll be out there in two weeks. And we went, we went and they met for the first time. She was 27 at the time. Oh my God. It was unbelievable. I mean, the whole family came out. You know, we see two women come out. We weren't sure which one was her mom. Right. We didn't see any pictures. And yeah. She's like, she's like, Jade, I'm your mom. And it yeah. was just like they started hugging. It was unbelievable, man. It was like a, an amazing moment. And then her brothers, she had brothers that she didn't know. Like half the, brothers, huh? Yeah, half brothers. Yeah, and all this stuff. So it was, you know, and then oh we just. Oh, my God. That's so she just, it, it, you know, it totally turned her life around. She's like, this is the night. This is the greatest moment of my life. If I never live another day, I just know that this, you know, yeah. this was amazing. And she became, like her and her mom became best friends. Really? Yeah. What would did what was the reason why she was uh, put up for adoption in the first place? You know, she was she was Vietnamese. 
during the war back in the 70s, she left. The, the mother. F- the mother left. The father wanted to stay for some reason, and she took off while she was pregnant and came to the States because she knew a couple people and came here and then got adopted by, like, a church. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Some weird church. Huh. Like Mennonites. Right, They're almost right, like right. Amish. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they basically, you know, gave her to a family. Huh. And she never... But she, they always had contact. The, the pastor that she, she was... Uh, you know, that gave away to the family, always had contact with the real mom. And the the real mom just, I guess she said at that time, I just couldn't take care of you. I didn't, I couldn't speak English. I had no job. I was like, you know, sewing stuff in the back of a store, you know, for like $3 an hour. Oh my God. I couldn't speak English. But then, you know, a couple of years later, she found um, her family, some extended family out in California. She moved out there and she just said, I, you know, I'm sure she's better off with that family. So, and she wasn't really, she wasn't. No. Mm. Um, so, you know, they find her, you know, and they become best friends. They're hanging and we're going back and forth. They came to visit us, this and that. And then, um, you know, ultimately that wasn't, that it didn't really help yeah. in the long run. Because, you know, with mental illness and, you know, with a, with a chemical imbalance, is you know, it's basically like a a loose wire Yeah. in layman's terms. There's yeah. a wire that's loose that, you know, you don't re- usually react like. You get fired from a job. You go, all right, this is going to suck for a while, but yeah. I'll find another one. Someone with a loose wire is going to go, all right, I-, I can't take this anymore. I don't see any way out. Right. Never going to find another job. I'm just going to, you know, yeah, end yeah. my life. It's yeah. going to be easier. Right. So six years in, yeah, we're, uh, you know, I'm doing a show and she uh, leaves me a message while I'm on stage. And I didn't see it coming. I mean, I didn't see that she was at that point. Because I, you know, it was a whole, you know, during the six years, there was a lot of moments where she was low. Yeah. And she left me a message, you know, on, on my cell phone when I got off stage crying. It's like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I love you and please don't be mad at me, but I can't take it anymore. I need to be out of pain. I rushed home and found her laying on the ground. Oh, my God. It's brutal. What? How'd she do it? Pills and booze. And she Just was, a mixture. And she was just, she was dead when you got there. Yeah. She knew, you know, to do it at that time because she knew I was an hour away. I was, and it's funny because I was opening for Dice mm-hmm. at a big theater. Yeah. So, you know, an hour away, she knew, you know, what time I was going to be on stage, like eight o'clock or whatever. So she knew exactly when to do it, where by the time I got home, right? you know, I wouldn't have been. And we even had a little dog. Yeah. And it was weird because she told me, she goes, hey, why don't you drop your dog off, the dog off of your mom's? Tonight, I'm like, why? She goes, you know, my, your mom likes the dog. I go, nah. I go, no, nah, that'd be fine. Because I was like, that's weird. Why would she say that? But she didn't want the dog to be there. Right. So she actually took the dog down to my mom's after I left. And she goes, oh, just take the dog for a couple of days. I know you how much you like the dog. Huh. She didn't want to do it, with, you know, with the dog. And so she had a whole plan and stuff. And then, you know, afterwards, you just feel like, you know, the biggest piece of shit. Like, wow, why was it? Why wasn't it there for her? Right. You know, but meanwhile, she would have done it. If she didn't do it then, she would have done it another time. Well, yeah, when they have a plan like that. Right. So it was like, you know, if I was. Has she tried before? No, she never tried. But, you know, it was, she always said, you know, sometimes it would be better if I just, you know, I just want to go to sleep and never wake up. You know, that's a, that's a major sign. So, and a lot of times with suicide, people always think that when someone goes, I'm just going to end my life. I can't take it anymore. I just want to go to sleep. And that's a major sign. That's not a cry for help. Like they're just doing that to get attention. That's a, that's a major. I found that out later, obviously. Well, what, but, so when you found her, what happened? I mean, the ambulance came, the cops, I had to meet us there. You know, I, re- I got to the house first because I thought she wasn't picking up. I said, ah, she's maybe she's just, you know, right. She's just having a moment or whatever, and she's going to be there. She's going to be fine watching TV. But you were worried. I was absolutely. I mean, I did like a hundred miles an hour Ugh. all the way home, and then I get there and I just, you know, ran into the spare bedroom and the door was shut. And you know, she, it was never shut that door, and I knew something bad was behind oh, that door. God damn it! 
it was yeah and then you know the the, you know, the ambulance come and they're giving her mouth to mouth and you know it was just uh I still I still thought she was okay. Like you don't, you never know. It was same thing like my dad when I saw him laying. I'm like, all right, he's gonna be okay to take him away. And you know, and I remember she just said, "Wow, she's such a beautiful girl. I can't believe that." Yeah. So sad, and I just knew that that was, you know. Yeah, yeah. And what 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 happened to your life after that? You know, then it was just, you know, I didn't I didn't even know. I was like, man, what am I gonna do? Like, how am I even gonna get up on stage again? Like, how can I go up there and tell jokes? You know, when everybody knows, and you pretty felt, much. you felt responsible? Totally responsible. It's because that, that kind of death is just total. Like if you're, you know, you're, you'd say, your girlfriend, go to the store and get me cigarettes or whatever like that, and she gets an accident, you're going to feel guilty. Like if I didn't tell her yeah. to go to the store, she right, would never right. get killed. You know, so, and suicide is like that too. Whoever's yeah. closest to her, like, man, what could I have done? I should have seen the signs. I should have never did that comedy show that night. You know all of that stuff. So there's so much more guilt there. And how how did you process it? I mean, how how did you get your head right around? Why well, I, I really went to um, you know, there was like I found out like these survivors of suicide groups, like yeah. these bereavement groups. Yeah. And like two weeks later, I was like, I got I got to do something, man, because I was started reading books on it and all that. You're stuff. just beating the shit out of yourself. Beating the shit out of me, totally. Yeah. And then everybody blames you. All yeah. my friends, you know, eventually they start blaming you. Like, I was the last one really? to be with her. Like, what happened? Did you cause this? Yeah. What did you do? Yeah. What did you do? Did you say something to right. her? You know, even like though that. they knew she was unstable. Yeah. Even though they always, you know, that's just anger and they're trying to process it. So they just, they right. need somebody to blame. Right. So that was, that was super rough, you know, that her friends, you know, basically turn on you after that. Oh, my God. So you started reading on it, and then you go to these bereavement groups. I go to bereavement groups. I remember walking in for the first time, and it's like they're, they're laughing before, this, this, you know, it starts. And I'm like, how can these people laugh? Because they all went through it, a son or a daughter. Right, right, right. And I'm like, how can these people smile? And you're a comic, and that and it was yeah. beyond your understanding. It was beyond my understanding. Like, how could you be in a good mood? You yeah, lost yeah. your son. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I couldn't. I could never think I could get to that place. Yeah. You know, and they were like, it was almost like AA. This woman was two years in where yeah. her son took her life this right. this woman was five this right. one was nine months and i was only two weeks and i looked at the nine months i'm like holy shit i can get to that point at nine right. months there's yeah, no yeah. way you couldn't you couldn't see right you couldn't see that you can get to that point you're like there's no way there's no right way out of this out of this fog what, what, this- what, what were your thoughts around that though like i mean for yourself i mean in the cycle of beating the shit out of yourself what were you saying to yourself in terms of the rest of your life? You know, how was that looking to you? Like, you know, I mean, what, you weren't thinking about killing yourself, were you? No, I no, that never crossed my mind. But you just didn't see any way out of. This. I didn't see any way. I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I didn't want to go back to my apartment. Now, my my mom just said, "Look, stay here. Don't go back there." I go, "I don't want to walk back in there because just opening that door was just a complete Ugh. nightmare." I'm like, I never want to deal with. That. I can't go in there every night. I yeah. can understand that when someone dies in their house, yeah, to live there, whatever, you know, all that stuff. And my mom says, just stay here for a while. So I wound up staying there for like six months. And kept going. Would you go every week? To I would group? go every week. There was different ones. And I would go and I'd just sit there and listen and talk. And I would tell my story and, you know, just realize, you know, find out that they're like, look, that's it, it has nothing to do with you. Suicide is just a temporary problem for, you know, like it's just a temporary problem someone has and doesn't see their way out. Anyone that's attempted and didn't make it always said, I just, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Whether I lost my job or I got divorced, my wife left me, and I just said, "There's no way I'm going to get out of this." Everyone's going. They always think everyone's going to be better off without them. Yeah, that's the main thing in suicide. Like, they, my family's going to be better off without me because I'm a pain in the ass. I'm a drama queen. Right. So it's better to just end my life right. in that weird way. They think that it's like that's not a hundred percent 
you know, false. Right. Of course, that you know, their dad's a fuck up, but of course the kids want him around. Right. Right. But they think, you know, my parents, my kids are going to be better off. Yeah, they're just consumed by. Yeah. yeah. It's that's the selfishness of it. Is yeah. That they, they've made themselves out to be this piece of shit. Yep. Then they're just going to do everyone a favor. Yeah. So I think that's what my ex. But I think she thought, like, you know what? You know, I've, I've been such a pain in the ass to him, and he's it's t- so time consuming for him to take care of me. It's just going to be better oh, off that God. he. So did you have to call her real mother and shit and like that kind of stuff? Or? Yeah, the real mother, the the adopted mother, all you, of that you stuff. You made yeah. all those calls? Uh, yeah. What was the reaction? Um, well, the it, it was weird. The real mother um, never came to the funeral. Yeah, because she, she probably felt responsible. She felt responsible. Ugh. And you, are you in touch with them anymore? No, there's no contact. And what about the the step parents or the no no the, contact? What, they came to the funeral though. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, we I I got a you know we went down to where she grew up in Pennsylvania was, yeah. and you know she got buried there where she, you know in the hometown. But then after that, it just you know it turned ugly where it was all my fault. Oh, they did too. Yeah, and then we had a place together, so it was a whole battle over the estate and stuff, and it was just oh because you they got the really house? nasty. Yeah, we had an apartment in the right outside did. of New yeah right yeah like right in uh, Cliffside Park right outside of New York City. Oh, condo, really? And then so. that got ugly, too? That got super ugly, When yeah. did this happen? This happened 2006, late 2006. And, and and where is it all at now? It's all done? Everything's done, yeah. Moved on, and now, you know, I got I, I got I got married, and I got a kid. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so my whole one-man show is about basically, you know, the, the shit that I was in and just how I recovered and, you know, found somebody and just have, you know, a happy life and really recovered from this how disaster long, but how long did it take you to, well to i'll tell you um it took me a long time but i i went to this um this this healer guy this shaman guy yeah yeah a comedian friend this girl laura levitas i, I know, know laura levitas okay so laura tells me about this guy named gypsy yeah she's like look this she used to always go to him she's always yeah. telling me go to this guy he's really good and he's gonna help you with and this. you were desperate enough to i at first i was like i'm not going what am i gonna do i go to a freaking shaman come yeah. on she's like seriously just go he does this massage thing and he just he knows what's going on uh, and yeah. all this stuff and i actually flew to california from Jersey to go see, he was and out a, here. And a guy like you, that's got to be like, you got to be pretty, you know, desperate emotionally to look at that as an option. Like it was probably a struggle for you. Oh, it totally was. Because I was like, you know, a guy's guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. How are you going to tell Dice you went to Gypsy? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, and, and also, uh, you know, it's like when Laura would tell me to go to therapy, I'm yeah. like, I'm not going to therapy. I'm like, oh, I'm going to lose my anger and then I'm not going to be funny on stage because that's where I get my comedy yeah. from. She's like, you're such an idiot. Just go. You're not going to lose your anger. Right. Yeah. You know, but that was my thing. I'm, uh, then I'm gonna, not going to be funny. Right. I'm going to be mellow. Right. Isn't that weird though? Because like, I mean, I, you know, we're stubborn like that and there's this idea. It's like, Fuck that! Well, that's, that, that's like Kinnison back in the day. He he would do coke all night, but he would tell his brother like, if I could, we, we watch CNN. If we could just get one funny line, it's yeah. worth it for our act. And that was his his way of going. We're writing, yeah, yeah. You know, so we're gonna do coke all that's night. A rationalization. <laughs> I know one funny line. So I wouldn't go to therapy because I was like, I don't want to lose my anger because oh, I'm not gonna be funny anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not gonna find anything. I'm not gonna get angry over anything. So it's not gonna make. I'm not gonna have any jokes. But this is before the bereavement group. That was right before the bereavement group. And right yeah. before. That. So you go to Gypsy. I go to Gypsy. And what happens? He uh, he doesn't know my story. He just knows. Laura says, hey, he's coming. He lost his girlfriend. You know, she leaves me a note. The and, girlfriend? Yeah. What did it say? Basically, well, I go to him. He sits me down and he and he tells me everything that's in the note. And he had no idea it was in the note because Laura didn't know it was in the note. Nobody did except for me and my family. Was it that specific that he couldn't have? He went, 
she would have done this a long time ago if she never would have met you. You gave her the best, whatever, five, six years of her life. And, you know, she would have, you know, she's happy now. She wants her to go be, you know, be happy and be out of pain. She's out of pain. She's okay. Go live your life. That was what was in the note? Word for word. Huh. Word for word. So that, that must have blown your mind. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And then this one thing that he said, he goes, look, just remember this. He goes, you were chapter three in her life. Chapter one was the root of the problem. You weren't there for chapter one. That was huge for me. Yeah. Just that that saying right there that I wasn't because it was you know the book was already written. Yeah. Chapter one was the was the problem when she was born. Yeah. You know, so I I was just a chapter in a life that came along. Right. So you know there was and and then he just like you know he did this massage thing and just you know found all this shit. Did and you just, cry? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, opened you right up. Right. Brutal. Yeah. 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 It was amazing. And then and then when he came, then when he left. When I was leaving, he's like, "Hey, I just want to let you know, you know, your girlfriend Jade didn't send you here. Laura, I mean, you, Laura didn't send you here. Your girlfriend Jade did." I'm like, hey, "Okay, yeah, yeah, whatever." I'm like, all right, and you know, come on, yeah, you, yeah. you did your job, all right? right you don't right, have to right. throw it. Out. And then when I got in the car, I was like, "Holy shit!" You know, she actually saved me. Right. You know, she really did. I, she was the one that brought me there. So that was a, that was a, the 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 beginning of the unburdening. That was the beginning of the unburdening. Yeah. Uh-huh. Still got her to support group. He's did a bunch of shows. You know. Raised a lot of money and stuff like that. Did some walks in New York City for, for, suicide, for suicide. Oh yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. And do you, how how long did you go to the the meetings? I went to the meetings for about two years. Yeah. Yeah. And and like during during the doing the stand up. I mean, how did it change you on stage, or did were you just? No, it really didn't change me on stage. I was nervous about getting up on stage because you're too vulnerable. Too vulnerable. And then I'm thinking everybody's looking at me. Really? Everybody knows my story, but you you didn't find support in the community. I mean, did, well, guy, the guys like you know uh, Norton and those. Guys. Oh, those absolutely, they yeah. were hundred percent. But yeah. I'm saying the crowds. Oh, right, right. Because you know they knew it got out there. Of course, I didn't care. I was like, I'm gonna. I'm you not mean gonna... on Stern or something. Stern and you know just everybody knew the radio shows and you know the crowds knew basically what what happened. But you thought they were you thought they were blaming you too? Or? No, I thought they were looking at me like, how can this guy be cracking jokes when his girlfriend just died? Oh, so you so felt I guilty? Had to, I felt guilty up there. I'm like, uh-huh. man, you know, how can I have a good time on stage and crack these jokes? And but it was how long did it take you to get back up there? Uh, about almost a month. Okay, okay, you got to do weeks it. To but month. no one, no one ever said anything like no, that. No, no one ever said anything. But it was just me yeah, thinking sure, sure. that you know, for a long time, like, oh shit, they're looking at me like this guy. How could he be doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because that's the whole stigma behind it. You really, you know, like people go, "How can that?" You guy couldn't live? save her. You, I, you, I, I you let her die. Yeah, that was that yeah, was the stigma. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Oh God. So, and and when did you meet your wife? So, um, d- like three years after she passed away. Yeah. Um, my friend calls me up and he says, "Hey, he goes, um, you want to go see Kid Rock? Right. In concert? He goes, I got free tickets. We're gonna go tailgate. We got a bunch of hot chicks meeting us there." You in? I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, what do you mean you don't know? I go, I don't know. I go, I'll, I'll let you know tomorrow. He's like, what a pussy. You know, I, you know, Jersey, of course. <laughs> he actually said, he goes, really, that's not incentive enough. And this is exactly what it's word for word. And I do it on my show. He goes, really, what are you going to stay home and take it in the ass? That's what he told me. And one of my best friends that was in my wedding party. Because I, I said, I don't know if I want to go to see Kid Rock because he had a free ticket and there's going to be beer. You're going to go home and take a life in the ass? Yeah, yeah, take it in the ass. <laughs> 
And it was weird because the only reason I, I was reluctant on that, that was my ex's favorite band, and we used to always go see him when he came around. He would come around like once a year. Did you tell your friend that? I didn't tell him that because I was just like, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to get into him with a, about that. He would have been like, oh, pussy, that was three years ago. You're still worried about that? You but know, like, there's something funny about the metaphor of like, you know, because on some level, you you know, you were letting life take it. You were taking it in the ass because you you wouldn't get out of that cycle. Yeah. Of, of self, you know, flagellation over this fucking thing. Absolutely. But I, I and I, I was like, I felt bad going without her. Right. Three sure. years later. Yeah, well, that, but that's not unreasonable. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's, and, and that night, I remember just figuring out what I wanted to do. And she actually came to me in a dream. Really? Yeah. And I never, she never came to me before. Like the whole time I was hoping that I would see her at some point, you know, that she was okay. Yeah. And it, she just said, go to the show. Go. That's all the dream Go. Was? Go yeah. to the show. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? But I want to just, just go. You'll thank me. Go, go, go. <laughs> like that. And I was like, yeah. what? But I want to. And then she was gone. Like she just freaking drifted off. Do you believe in heaven? I, I have a hard time as you yeah. get older when you really figure stuff out. There's something going on out there. I just don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's uh, it's kind of, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's it might be in here, it might be out there, yeah. somewhere in the middle. I don't know. But I'll tell you something that I, which I forgot the story. Yeah. So I'm on stage, do opening that show for Dice, mm-hmm. and it's packed. The, the night she like died, two thousand people. Yeah. In the middle of my show, I got this surge went right through my body. It was just almost almost like I I got struck by lightning. I don't know. I never felt that before on stage. It was right after I finished a joke. I'm like the hell was that that's weird and then i went right on to my show and that was basically the moment the moment when she passed Mm. it was really weird because i you know it wasn't like oh i hope you know she's gonna be okay it just and a lot of people i've talked to have had that you know with someone dying or whatever they really their dad passed away and you know on another coast or something like that you just had this weird feeling and all of a sudden my mom called yeah it was really freaky so that's why there's something out there i just don't know what it is so she said go, and you go to the concert. I sit in the parking lot drinking beers, a bunch of the hot chicks. Yeah. I start rapping with this one. I'm like, yeah. hey, you know, yeah. you got a boyfriend? She's yeah. like, no, why not? Well, you know, it's a long story. I got, I got time. I don't need to see the opening band. It was some <laughs> shitty band. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll wait for Kid Rock to go on. She's like, well, you know, she goes, look, I just... Um, I'm just sick of men. I've, you know, I've been taking care of my whole life. They're all fucking disasters, and I, I'm looking. I'm done with that. I'm just looking for a nice guy. And I'm like, holy shit! We exchanged numbers that night. I just became a nice guy. Yeah, I'm like, wow, you met me at the right time because I was, I was a scumbag for a long time, and I'm looking yeah. for someone I don't have to take care of either. Yeah. And then we went on dates, and you know, within a year and a half, we had a kid, and we got married. That's a fucking great story. And she's not nuts. She's not nuts. You're sure, but positive. You know, she has a little moments. You <laughs> right, know, right, right. A little moments. You know, you. But nothing too crazy. Nothing too. No. And what, would you have a son or a daughter? We have a, a son. Uh huh. He's two and a half. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so you're was, all right. I'm all right. Yeah. You're out of the tunnel. I'm out of the. Yeah. It took a while, man. And do you find that uh, how's the show resonating with the uh, with with people who went through the same experiences? People know? love it because a lot of people have dealt with depression yeah. in their family. If they didn't lose somebody, they know somebody close. Uh huh. And, um, you know, I just, it's just tough getting people to that show because it's so heavy. It's funny. The, uh, most of it is funny. I do slides. I show pictures. I show pictures. What's it called? Heart. It's called I'm Your Savior. And what, did you, uh, you release it on DVD or not? Not yet. I'm, I'm hoping to get it off like Broadway, do like a Colin Quinn thing with his yeah, long story yeah, yeah. short. Sure. So I've done it a bunch of times in New York. I've done it in LA a couple of times. I'm hoping to get a director for it. 
to bring it to the next level and then yeah. shoot it as a special. Oh, that's great. Comedy Jim. Central saw it, but they said it's too serious. I'm like, really? You, five minutes out of a show is too serious? Like, you know, some of the shit I see on there, there's five minutes where there's no laughs yeah. on your network. Yeah. I think, yeah. you know. Yeah, some of the stuff you have on there is literally depressing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. For the wrong reason. <laughs> right. This and is, here I've got a, a context. I've, I can carry through people through the emotions of this thing in a yeah, funny no. way. No, they don't want that. Five minutes is just gonna kill. People are gonna turn the channel. Well, maybe Showtime or Netflix. Yeah, it's, or there's a there's a bunch of different places. I'm definitely gonna release it because I, you know, I I really like doing it. But it's totally different from what I do on stage, which I like. It's like a little, you know, I'm more of just you know rough gruff guy up there. Well, no, I think it's a you know it's amazing to hear a guy of your ilk, you know, have to you know be forced into a situation like you know we all get into those situations in our lives where we have to, you know, we have to reckon with our feelings. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you're a guy that your whole life has been sort of like, fuck those feelings yeah. you, that, you know, I'm not going to fucking do that. You know, you know, the New Jersey thing. And then all of a sudden you reckon with them and you, and you process them in a way. It must be very rewarding because, you know, I mean, it's helpful to you, helpful to other people. You know, it, it opened up a whole other part of your heart. I mean, Jesus. It totally did. It and it helped a lot of people understand. You know, when so, I always was weird about like when someone, a public figure went public with something so tragic. I'm like, what are they doing that for? Why don't they just keep it to themselves? Like, that was always my thing. Like, why would they? But it helped so many people that were afraid to go there to, to talk about it, you know, like that somebody else that they know, they kind of know, will talk about it. And then like, holy shit, I, I went on Stern and told the story and, and people, I mean, I must have got like a thousand emails. Yeah, it's And I was mind. calling people and talking to them and stuff that went through it and stuff because I was way ahead of them and stuff and just talk to these guys and tell them what's coming and what, what you didn't do wrong and what you did. Go to this group, find groups for them and stuff and get the help. Well, what the fuck is it about men in general, you know, in, after a certain point, because when you, when you do something like that, when you, you tell your truth and it's a painful truth, then all of a sudden, you know, just legions of people, like, you, 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 they're just holding this shit in. They just hold it in because they think that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. It's fucking nuts. I know. Be a man. Come on. Well, yeah, man, but what man. does that even mean? I know. It, it's, it, it you is. Give yourself cancer. Because you you don't want to have feelings? Absolutely, and that's what it is. It destroys your insides. I went to a doctor, like this alternative doctor, yeah. this naturopathic doctor, and he took my blood work and stuff like that. He's like, dude, he goes, your insides are destroyed over this tragedy. He's like, you need to really build yourself back up because it's really eating you away. So he put me on like a whole vitamin program and yeah. all these powders and <clears throat> stuff and did all this stuff, and it really just built me back up. He says, seriously, you don't see it, but you, you're destroyed inside. Well, well, you know, you feel that that feeling that you have, where you literally like you feel like something, some like a hand is holding your heart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you don't know, oh, you fuck, don't fucking, you know. And the the relief that you must have felt. I mean, I imagine after each time you do the show, it's got to be somewhat like like a burden off you. It like is. That. It is. Yeah, it's just totally, you know, really emotional too. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I go back to that place and I tell the whole story yeah. on stage, and it's just like I can go back to that place in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my wife's always fascinated by my regular stand up. She's like, "How could you get that angry at that point? You've been doing that joke for like nine months." I go, "I can go back to that moment and just like that, <laughs> even if I'm over it, like I'm not angry over it anymore yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I could go right to there, so it's yeah. no, not a problem at all." But it also that kind of shit gets funnier and more. The more grounded you are, like you got, when you're in the middle of it, there's no even with a joke. When you're really angry about something, right? The humor, a lot of times, the laughs are just people uncomfortable because you're so fucking angry, <laughs> right? But once a little time goes by you know and you're not that angry but you can tap into it again yep. you got a little more of a handle on it and it's a funnier thing right they, yeah they always told uh, rich foss when he went through a divorce yeah he said he lost so much co club work 
when he was going through the divorce because he was so angry on stage. Right. He was just lashing out at people. And they yeah. always say, if you're going through, don't even talk about a divorce for like at least the first six, eight months minimum. Right. Because it's just going to come out pure anger and it's just going to, you know, yeah. it's not going to be funny yet. Let yeah. it process. Well, the, I was doing a one man show about my divorce while it was happening. Oh. But I but I knew enough to say like, you know, I don't, I, I you know, I didn't do like I did some of this stuff on stand up stage. It was right. manageable. But I just took the other stuff to a workshop situation. I'm like, I, I'm in the, like New York, uh, Time Out New York said, the great thing about this show is Marin is, seems to be, has, has no hindsight. So it's very engaging. Like right. I had not worked through it. So it was a theatrical experience, but it was not controlled. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? I had no handle on it. Yeah. But yeah. Well, fuck, man. It sounds like, uh, you know, things sort of, you know, worked out. Yeah. You, you're, you're not heavy hearted about it anymore. No, you know, look, you still think about it all the time, but I got to, you know. But it sounds like you've grieved it properly. I agree. Yeah. And I, I needed to take it head on because if I didn't, you know, and that's why, look, that's why people that don't deal with stuff reach for that that bottle. Yeah. Reach for the pills. Yeah. Reach for the, you know, smoking reefer or whatever yeah, it yeah. is because, like, I don't want to feel that, that, yeah, that yeah. pain. And I really, thank God it happened to me when I was, you know, 40 or 41. Right. Instead of, you know, 25 because i would have never dealt with it you could have gotten more fucked up yourself totally i would have totally went that way not that i have any addictions but i totally would have just been put it to the side and just you know whenever i felt that i would have freaking started drinking or yeah 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 doing whatever so i'm glad that it happened later in life all right man well uh, fucking good luck with the show man thank you man i right. appreciate it that's our show i hope you dug that yeah, i did jim's a great guy and check out his stuff what else? Go to WTFPod.com. You can pre-order the book. You can buy some merch. You can kick in a few shekels. You can get on the mailing list. You can find out who's on the show. You can comment. There's there's no end. You can get some JustCoffee.coop. Let's do one of those. I got some coffee. Pow! I just shipped my pants. JustCoffee.coop. Available at WTFPod.com. I guess uh, some people are saying Kmart ripped off my uh, hook. I looked at it. I just shipped shipped my pants uh it's clever i don't know if uh, i don't know if it's connected but I, I appreciate that you people are being vigilant what else my friends i don't know man heavy-hearted still a little sick but uh but we did okay things are okay and again my heart goes out to people of boston or to anybody uh who uh has family there that was affected by this and to all of us uh we we can uh we can transcend we will persevere the good outnumbers the bad. And um, I think uh, Patton wrote about that. You got to put a nice piece out there. But look, I uh, I hope everybody's okay. I hope you and yours are okay. And uh, all right. Well, there's no reason to drag this on. Boomer lives. Boomer lives.